Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. President Donald Trump's executive order banning travel into the United States by refugees and visitors from seven mostly Muslim countries is still being debated today loudly and forcibly. Last night, the president fired acting Attorney General Sally Yates, who questioned the legality of the order. Thousands protested outside the U.S. Supreme Court building in Washington. More court action is promised, saying the order singles out one religion and violates the constitutional right of equal protection under the law. On today's program, we'll hear from several people on this issue. Uh, We hope to hear from uh, Democratic U.S. Senator Bob Casey here in just a moment. Uh, Sheila Mastropietro is Director of Church World Service. Uh, We have a, a refugee from Somalia, Mustafa Noor, will also so be joining us as well. So uh, let's get right into the program. And by the way, we want to hear your opinions on this as well. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Our first guest today appeared at that demonstration at the Supreme Court building last night and at Philadelphia International Airport this weekend when several people were detained. Democratic U.S. Senator Bob Casey, Senator Casey, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Thank you. All right. So let's start off with uh, your opposition. Why do you oppose the president's executive order? Well, for the the fundamental reason is it's 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 overly broad and it uh, it harkens back uh, and really I think relates back to a a, a Muslim ban uh, pledge that the president made in the campaign. Um, he and his team will will deny that and they'll say it's not, but he's the one who raised it from the beginning. And this has, um, this has all the, uh, the elements of a, of, a, of a religious test. But I think maybe the most important uh, degree or important reason to, to oppose this kind of a ban is it literally makes us less safe. And I know a good bit about national security and foreign policy, but if one of your listeners doesn't want to take my word for it, Listen to some of the Republicans who spend their entire lives on national security, um, like um, uh, Michael Hayden, for example, and others who have served in major positions in Republican administrations. Senator McCain, Senator Graham, the Democrats, the Republican senators, who have said very clearly that this damages uh, national security. It hurts. It hurts our fight against ISIS. And in fact, it, it it might even be used as a recruiting tool for ISIS. So A, it's wrong and unconstitutional, but B, it does undermine our national security. Uh, And it obviously isn't working very well when you have a series of federal courts all ruling against this uh, executive order. So it's wrong by way of law. It's wrong in terms of its implications for our security. And um, it it doesn't treat these individuals in the way that the constitutional law indicates we should. Senator, you wrote a letter to John Kelly, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, with several questions. Without getting into all of them, what were some of the major questions that you had about the executive order? Well, here, here's part of the problem, and this is, this, is, uh, uh, this is kind of a subset of the larger problems, but it's one thing to have an executive order on a matter it's another thing to have it go into effect immediately, and then there's no procedures that go with it. So there I am, Saturday night, standing in the in the waiting room of the Customs and Border Patrol office in at the Philadelphia airport, 
and and my one request was to be able to see these people and to say and and solely for the purpose of of making sure we could have their names so the lawyers who were weren't going to be allowed in I could give their names to the lawyers so they could prepare uh, a petition to the district court but as we're talking to the customs and border patrol it was it was clear to me that they were told one thing don't let anyone in and that's all they were told they didn't have they didn't have a procedure book they didn't have a step by step guide about how to implement this executive order it was total chaos and and sometimes there are government decisions that 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 uh, cause some degree of chaos but this was total chaos in airports all across the country so even the people that were supposed to implement this uh, who had no choice as uh, leading the customs and border patrol they they um, they had no guidance and then we tried to get the lawyer on the phone the counsel for customs and border patrol you couldn't find that person you couldn't find anyone who could answer questions about basic procedure and guess what when when the courts took a look at this they they uh, recognized that this that people's rights could have been violated i mean he, here's what the federal court in new york said judge donnelly she she says there was quote a, this is her finding strong likelihood of success in establishing that the removal of these individuals uh, violates their rights to due process and equal protection. That's a federal judge saying that. That's not some you know Democrat yelling in the corner to criticize Donald Trump. Uh, and that wasn't the only federal judge who came to the same conclusion. So uh, they should rescind this order and start over. And if President Trump can identify for us, this is a, yet another reason why it's a bad order, identify for us what's wrong with this order in terms of a defect in the screening. He should tell us there's a defect, if he, can, if he can prove it, is there a defect in the FBI screening that these individuals undergo two years of screening? Is there a defect in the Homeland Security screening? Is there a defect in the State Department screening? Is there a defect in the Defense Department screening? Is there a defect in the counterterrorism screening? These people go through five or six or seven layers of screening over two years. They get biographic information that they develop over many, many months. They get biometric. They get a, they get to uh, an image of their retina, so they can know that this is this is the person that uh, that we that is uh, asking for admission into the country. So no group of Americans have ever been screened as thoroughly as these people. So if if President Trump or his team can identify a defect in that screening, that's the, that's the basis to have some kind of an order. But it has to be specific, and it has to be designed in a way so that you're you're uh, you're fixing the defect to protect our national security and not not denying people entry into the country that have green cards or that have other have other uh, um, have other education they should be allowed in senator i know you have limited time one quick question one final yes. quick question um so where do we go from here i mean you just kind of listed some questions that you would have for the administration but personally right. where do you go from here on this I think we have to keep urging the administration to rescind the order and, and come up with an order that, that uh, if they believe they need an order, that's grounded in what are the defects in screening. Because if you identify a defect, I mean, you can't just make it up and say we don't think the screening's tough enough. The screening is as tough as anything we've ever seen in American history, in my judgment. So if there's a defect, tell us what it is and work with, 
work with smart lawyers and, and national security professionals at, at uh, fixing that defect. Don't uh, send a message to the world that, that you're going you're gonna to haphazard job on developing an order that, that lawyers and courts across the country believe is not only unconstitutional, but national security professionals say it makes us less safe against terrorists and ISIS. Democratic U.S. Senator Bob Casey. Senator, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're continuing our conversation today about President Trump's executive order that came last Friday that uh, bans travel and refugees from seven mostly Muslim countries in the Middle East. Uh, We have a number of guests that we're talking to today. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call if you would like to weigh in. Also, our uh, email address. Our email address is uh, smarttalk at witf.org. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment on Facebook, it's WITF. Facebook page. Also on Twitter at Smart Talk WITF at Smart Talk WITF. Again, that phone number 1-800-729-7532. All right. I want to go over uh, you know, what we've heard from the rest of uh, Pennsylvania's central Pennsylvania, I should say, in particular, a congressional delegation. First of all, here's Sean Spicer, who is uh, President Trump's spokesman yesterday, talking about the ban. We're going to put the safety of, of Americans first. We're not going to wait and react. As I said in the statement, uh, the president's going to be very pro- proactive with protecting this country. We're not going to wait till we get attacked and figure out how we can make sure it doesn't happen again. He's going to do everything in his power to stop every threat that we face in this country and every potential threat. And that's the key point in this. How do we get ahead of threats? How do we keep America ahead of the curve when it comes to people who want to do us harm? And that's what the president's done, is he's made sure that every way possible we get down the path of securing this country, putting America's safety and security first and foremost bar none. Senator Pat Toomey, Republican from Pennsylvania, uh, we put in a request to uh, speak with Senator Toomey this morning. Didn't hear back from his office, but he did put out a written statement yesterday saying it's crucial that our nation strike the right balance between defending our people against the deadly threat of international terrorism and providing a safe haven for innocent refugees seeking peace and freedom. I support the administration's decision to increase vetting and temporarily suspend the admission of certain individuals from states that sponsor or provide safe havens to terrorists or are too weak to prosecute terrorists within their borders. Terrorists have successfully infiltrated refugee populations entering Europe and gone on to commit heinous acts of barbarity. I have long been concerned about our ability to distinguish between predominantly peaceful and innocent refugees. Uh, And Senator Toomey also went on to say that uh, he was... uh, Disappointed, he said initially, uh, or disappointed in how everything worked out this weekend. He said uh, the initial executive order was flawed, it was too broad, and poorly explained. Representative Scott Perry, not available uh, this morning during uh, our time period, uh, also had a statement saying the United States has the most generous refugee policies in the world and a culturally diverse, open country unlike any other. We want that proud tradition to continue, yet ISIS continues to embed fighters within the refugee flows bound for Europe to carry out terrorist attacks and clearly encourages its followers to do the same in the United States. There's no Muslim ban. President Trump's executive order imposes a temporary 
temporary 90-day ban on people entering our country from Iraq, Syria, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen, countries rife with jihadist violence. Muslims and others from more than 190 remaining countries in the world are unaffected. The order aims to improve our vetting process by temporarily halting refugee admissions for 120 days. Uh, And again, that's from uh, Representative uh, Scott Perry. Congressman Lloyd Smucker, who represents uh, part of Lancaster County and Chester and Berks counties, uh, will be issuing a statement later today, we are told. Uh, We got no response from uh, Congressman Lou Barletta's office looking for, uh, you know, a a comment on this issue. Uh, Republican Congressman Charlie Dent, who uh, represents part of Lebanon County and Berks County, uh, he is a Republican who opposes uh, President Trump's executive order. So that's kind of the roundup of uh, the Republican congressional delegation here in central Pennsylvania. Sean Spicer also had um, some comments, as you heard, even a couple of the Republican congressmen were critical of how this worked out over the weekend. All of the enforcement and action regarding the executive order is in place and it still remains right now. And, and we feel pretty confident that if there's any problems, we'll prevail. It's, it is, again, this is, this is a national security issue. These seven countries were derived from what the Obama administration had deemed as needing further travel restriction. We followed through on that, and as we continue to go through this 90-day process review, we're going to make sure that we put a system in place that (coughs) vets, extreme vets, these people who are coming into our, our country that potentially could do us harm, plain and simple. So those are some of the responses from those who support President Trump's uh, ban on travel from those seven countries. Uh, As I said, we're going to be talking with a number of people during the hour, including right now. Sheila Mastropietro is director of Church World Service, and Mustafa Noor is a refugee from Somalia. Welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you, Scott. Uh, Sheila, let me start with you. Uh, first of all, your thoughts on uh, the, the president's executive order on Friday. So the first thing I want to say is that there is no data to support the idea that refugees pose a threat. This policy is clearly based on fear and not facts. And we know that the refugee vetting process is robust and very thorough. It already consists of over 20 steps just to ensure that refugees are vetted more intensively than any other category of traveler. We have never had a refugee, uh, a terrorist, um, enter the U.S. We, I, I think the closest we came was a refugee who came as a child, the young guy in Ohio, and then was radicalized once here. Other than that, there's nothing to support the idea that terrorists are coming in as refugees. What many uh, people point to is Europe more than the United States, that uh, uh, there was one in particular uh, that carried out uh, the Paris attacks that had uh, that came into the country, at least had papers that were found uh, that was a refugee from Syria that was involved. Uh, have you heard about that case? And that seems to be one that uh, many people point to. Yeah, I notice that people are looking at what's happening in Europe, which is totally different than what than how a refugee enters the United States. Um, the refugees that enter the U.S. are vetted overseas. You know, be, they're not even allowed on the plane until they're thoroughly vetted. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a cold. Me too. So, so that's pretty important to know. To know that um, it's totally different than what's happening in Europe. Uh, refugees would come up on shore, you know, trying to get to to Germany or some other country over the seas, um, and there was no vetting process in place. 
it's not what we're doing here in the U.S. They're not even allowed on U.S. soil until you're thoroughly vetted. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about church, church world service and some of the refugees that you've worked with. But more importantly, right now, some that you are working with, where do you stand with uh, some of the refugees that maybe were scheduled to come into the country? So we had three cases that were scheduled, um, a Syrian family, um, an elderly couple from uh, Russia, and a single Somali guy, and they've all been canceled. Um, we have heard that Homeland Security might make a few uh, supply some waivers for people in um, uh, emergent situations. Um, we are pretty clear that the elderly Russian couple are, do not pose a threat to um, to the American population, and we hope that they will be able to be reunited with their daughter here in Lancaster County. Um, and we had many cases in the in our what we call pipeline, um, about 60 to 70 people. So clearly, none of them will be coming in the next four months. Now, you know, you are not a government agency, obviously, but have you reached out to people in government asking, okay, what's going on here? Can you give us uh, a little clarity? Is there the possibility that some of these people can come into the country? Yeah, we definitely have. Um, and our national office of Church World Service has reached out to um, Department of Homeland Security and the State Department um, now, both, neither of those departments were aware of this order coming down, um, including the Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration. That's the, the department that um, organizes the refugee resettlement program. They weren't aware of the order before it was made. They weren't, uh, let me say, they weren't consulted on the, on the order. And even uh, we get from them the feeling that this wasn't uh, a well-thought-through decision. So they are the ones who have suggested um, that waivers may be available for, for some cases, and so we are counting on that. And we've also heard that some cases that were scheduled may come through up to uh, this Friday, although all of our cases were, uh, the flights were canceled, but we still have hope, holding out the hope for those few cases. The refugees that come through your office into Lancaster County, and I assume uh, some other places in Pennsylvania, other places as as well, who are they for the most part? Is there a typical refugee? Um, you know, it changes over the years. Right now, our typical refugee is uh, from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, we've received many different ethnicities of the Congolese people. Um, they are not Muslim. They're all Christians. Um, so nowadays, that's our typical population. Um, the next biggest population we're receiving are, is from Somalia, um, refugees who have been in camps for up to 20 years. Um, and the terrorist is embedded in that program and has been waiting 20 years. You know, I just can't imagine that that's actually what they're doing. Um, but that's who's coming typically nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of Somalia, refugee from Somalia, Mustafa Noor. Mr. Noor, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, where are you from in Somalia, and what was life like in Somalia for you? Well, I am from the capital of Somalia, Mogadishu, and um, I have um, left my country due to the war and whatever is going on there when I was around 11 years old. So I spent almost a decade in the refugee camps, um, just waiting to get resettled somewhere in the world. Um, 
life as a refugee when you are so young you you basically have to uh grow up sober first i had to start um working for my family of ten, nine people when i was 11 years old you have to you don't ha- you don't have a a chance and an opportunity at education it's basically po- po- putting a stop to your life at a, such a young age and um i don't i don't it's not something i wish on any child when they're growing up but uh that's the everyday life of many refugees when you are from i mean most of the the times when we hear about Somalia because we do not here in the United States hear a whole lot of, about Somalia well, you know we often hear that uh, the government is in chaos if there even is a government that uh, you know there's a, a lot of crime there's a lot of violence uh, there are a lot of people that are going hungry uh, you, you know you said you came in you left Somalia when you were 11 but is that an accurate depiction of what life is like in Somalia um it's 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 not it's, it's different from different for different families and different people, but uh, the but the accurate deception uh, I think will probably be insecurity and uh, not safe. So that will probably be two two words I would describe the situation in Somalia right now, and that's why you have many people fleeing and many people um, displaced all over the world. So you said that you were 11 when you left Somalia. Do you remember what the uh, the vetting process was like? What it was like to uh, you know to get to the United States? Yeah, well, I left Somalia when I was 11, about 11 years old, and I I got to the United States when I was about 22 years old. So I spent almost a decade uh, going through the process. It's a long process, which is difficult, and um, I don't think anybody usually. As, um anybody who has other intentions can go through such a long process. We're talking about a lot of security checks, many interviews, fact-checking, interrogations, um, medical checks, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's a long and rigorous uh, step, and uh, by the time you get to the United States, you'll probably have gone through any test known to man, um, in my opinion. Let me ask you this, because, you know, the Trump administration has said that they're, what they're doing here is trying to make the nation safer. Did you know people in Somalia? Did you know people that, as you were going through the process, had ill will toward the United States and maybe wanted to do the United States harm? No, no. Anybody, everybody I know who was going through the refugee program was just seeking for um, a safe haven, uh, a place where they can restart their uh, life and for many refugees actually they don't even know where they are going or we don't even, we don't actually get get the choice to choose which country you want so you the country chooses you actually so you were basically chosen by the united states yeah you don't get a choice of saying i want to go to, to that country or that country the country actually chooses you after you go through a long 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 process so, uh, what do you think? What's your opinion of what the President Trump has done with this executive order? I think it's very heartbreaking because I know the many, too many people who are right now uh, in the situation. I was just two years ago before I got to Lancaster, and I know how how, how heartbreaking that must be. It all it it almost uh, takes away people's hope and uh, people's um, ability to expect some safety. So I I was really sad about that. 
you know, there are those, and I'm asking you to speculate a little bit here, and maybe you can't, but uh, I'll ask the question anyway. Uh, you know, a, a few of our, our congressmen have said that, uh, well, we heard Senator Casey today say that he thinks this order makes us less safe. Uh, do you think that there is a possibility with this order that there may be uh, some Muslims uh, who would turn to terrorism, who would become an enemy of the United States? I'm not sure uh, if you can go to that degree, but it 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 gives um, the idea of us against them a light. And uh, for the for the for the terrorist who was out there already having some toward to some ill, uh, unexplainable reasons, a hate towards the United States or anybody any any other country in the world. I think more than anything, it will just give them uh, gratification or just um, a reason to justify whatever they're doing. Mm. Uh, Sheila, uh, w one final question for you. Uh, so what's next for your organization? I mean, this is uh, something you've been placed in the forefront now of uh, one of the biggest controversies this country has seen in a lot of years. So what's next? So, well, some sad news is that we have to have layoffs here in our resettlement program. So I'm going to have to lay off about um, two-thirds of my resettlement staff. Uh, that's a close-to-home close, close to home thing. But uh, what we plan to do is um, increase our advocacy with our government officials to let them know, you know, educate them more on what refugees, you know, who refugees are and how unlikely it is that terrorists come in this way. Um, and actually, I wanted to reply to the question that you you, you asked of Mustafa, that we feel that this um, executive order is a gift to extremists. It makes them see, as, as Mustafa said, that the West is against you. The West doesn't, doesn't want you or doesn't like you. And it just makes that even, it just strengthens their, um, you know, ISIS to, strengthens their stand against the United States, I think. When you so say, put, go sorry. ahead, what are you going to say? I um, just wanted to urge your listeners to let their, you know, if they're, uh, let everyone know, let their government officials know that they um, they don't support this executive order and that the order is actually, is actually in direct opposition to the values that we in America uh, espouse. I just wanted to follow up, Sheila. When you say that you have to lay off two-thirds of your staff, why is that? I mean, is there less money coming in or, or what? Yeah, in the resettlement program, um, the money follows the arrivals. So, it's based on a per capita for our our administrative expenses. So if we don't have refugees arriving in the next four months, we don't have funding. So we're grateful for donations that we have received that I'm able to keep a skeleton staff for the next four months. Um, and we hope to be able to call people back when arrivals begin again in four months. Um, but it's really kind of up in the air. Sheila Master Pietro is Director of Church World Service, their Lancaster office. Sheila, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. And Mustafa Noor is refugee from Somalia. Mr. Noor, thank you for being with us, too. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. Let's take some phone calls. Lenny is in Lancaster. Lenny, you're on the air. Good morning, and uh, thanks for uh, sharing this topic. 
I am going to come in. Um, I am completely for the executive order. I think it was the right thing to do, and I think that we haven't had sanity in the past eight years for the refugee program. Um, statistically, it's true that the previous president was on purposely picking people from predominantly Muslim countries to bring into America. And not only that, they are being resettled predominantly in red districts, politically red districts. And that's an issue because there is a political element to everything anybody does, and the previous administration was no exception to it. And so when I look at the things that are happening, and a lot of the people that are being brought in, and this isn't racist or Islamophobic, but when you do have people that are living in the 7th century, and there are many people that are, and they're never going to change, those values are not compatible with American values. And I'm sorry, I don't think you should be living here. And I, that's a very harsh thing to say, but the harsh reality is that people have to come here and adapt to us. We don't adapt to them. Well, let me and if, that, and if you want to, if you want to call me a name, go ahead. But I'm not going to budge off that. And I'm a good liberal, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm not going to call your name. But uh, one thing I, I, I do want to ask you, though, you just heard uh, Mustafa Noor say, and we've heard other people say that uh, these refugees have been vetted. Uh, you know that they've gone through an extensive process. So that's uh, impossible. What he's saying is absolutely impossible. You're stuck in a refugee camp asking general questions to people. You, we don't know. It's impossible. There's no structure in Somalia or even in Syria right now to vet. You talk to a cousin or an aunt. I believe in refugees. You've got to trust me on this. I want good refugees, and I want good Muslims to come in the country. But I, I don't think that there's any sanity, and I say that meaningfully. I mean, you, you listen to even people like Sam Harris, or, and I'm not a big fan of Sam Harris. You look at people that are on the left, or the new talkers of Dave Rubin or other people, they are honestly, quietly saying this is the right thing to do. Now, Trump is bumbling. Don't get me wrong, but I think we have a guy – and we as liberals better get this right. If we protest every single thing that this guy does for the next four years, he will win by a landslide the next election because we're just going to look like a bunch of whiners. I, I don't think it's going to work. Hey, Letty, thank you very much for your call. Here's a few other comments uh, we received via email. Uh, Stephen Carlisle says, 40-some nations are not in the group of seven. President Obama and Congress picked these seven. Uh, just wants to make sure this is a point that is covered. Uh, and there is some question about that. The president, the President Obama, has come out and said that they did not, you know, they designated these seven countries as areas where there's possibility of the, the potential for terrorist activity or being safe havens for uh, for terrorism. But they did not designate these seven countries as, you know, these are places where they talked about restrictive uh, travel, but not restricting uh, Muslims from these countries coming into the United States. Uh, Joe in Denver says, doesn't understand uh, Senator Casey's comments. In any program, there are always problems during implementation. People were released from being held in airports. Not a real problem, just a glitch. Addy in Harrisburg says doesn't think it's a problem with what Trump did just the way he did it. He needs to explain things before acting. He simply does 
and then people don't understand. Uh, DJ in Harrisburg says the media is inciting this issue, making headlines simply to get people excited. Well, DJ, I'll just say to that that uh, when there is news like thousands of people protesting at airports across the country, that's news. And, uh, yes, there has been a lot of media coverage, but this probably is one of uh, the, the most controversial issues to come along in a long time. All right, we're going to take more phone calls and more of uh, your comments in just a moment. But we're going to be talking with Jill Family from uh, the uh, Widener University Commonwealth Law School in just a moment. She's an immigration uh, professor, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about President Trump's executive order that bans uh, travel and refugees from seven uh, predominantly Muslim countries. Our phone number is 1-800-729-7532, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. On Twitter, if you uh, would like to make a comment, ask a question, uh, we are at smarttalk at WITF. Also can make a comment or a question or leave a question, I should say, on WITS Facebook page. All right. We're joined now by Jill Family, who is a Commonwealth Professor of Law and Government, Director of the Law and Government Institute at Widener University Commonwealth Law School here in Harrisburg. Professor Family, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be with you. All right. So let's talk legalese. Let's talk about the legal aspects of this. Uh, You are a renowned immigration attorney. Your first thoughts when you heard about this executive order and how it was being carried out? Well, actually, it's interesting because I also teach administrative law, which is sort of about the functions of government agencies. And so I sort of had reactions from different perspectives. as an administrative law professor and scholar, I, you know, agree with some of your callers' comments that this was not implemented very well at all in their reports, that this was not vetted through the agencies who have the expertise of actually implementing these programs. Um, if I put my immigration law hat on, I see a lot of legal problems with this um, executive order, the travel ban, and um and I think, you know, as we've already seen, there are lots of lawsuits challenging this order that are raising some very serious constitutional issues. Um, and in fact, as we saw last night, even the acting attorney general, you know, raised some questions about the legality of the order. All right. So let's talk about it. We know that at least four federal judges have issued uh, temporary orders. So you looking at it from your point of view, where do you see some uh, some problems with it uh, constitutionally? Well, there are some big constitutional questions. First of all, you know, you can start with the establishment clause and the fact that the executive order appears to establish and comments made by the president and other government officials that um, the order appears to set a preference for Christian refugees. And so there's an argument that that violates the establishment cause of the Constitution, which says that um, the government is not supposed to establish an official religion or show preference to a particular religion. Um, And then that's going to butt up against there are some constitutional issues about how much power the president has to decide who gets into the United States and who doesn't. So that's sort of more an immigration aspect of it in terms of, you know, can the, can the president enact a clearly discriminatory policy 
um, in the immigration context. Well, when you, t- you talk about the, the powers of the president, uh, I was just reading an article this morning that was talking about that. Uh, this was talking about executive orders. And, you know, this became a, a, a big topic of conversation during the Obama administration sure. when President Obama was using uh, executive orders. From that article, from, you know, some of the quotes that I, I read from some of your colleagues, the president seems to have... Uh, I don't know, uh, a wide disparity with what he can do with executive orders, right? Yeah, so the president does have a wide discretion in immigration law. The question is, you know, are there any limits on that discretion? And I think the big difference here is that we see with this order, um, President Trump is arguably trying to exercise his discretion in a discriminatory way. And I think that's a big distinction between what President Obama was trying to do and in terms of setting his prosecutorial discretion um, policies. And so here we have the president, yes, exercising discretion, but I think there are real questions about whether or not he's exercising his discretion in a way that's constitutional. And also there's an argument that he's not exercising his discretion in a way that complies even with the Immigration and Nationality Act, because the Immigration and Nationality Act itself, the statute that Congress created, so not the Constitution but the statute, contains anti-discrimination provisions in it. And so, you know, there's some some pretty hefty legal questions that the courts are going to have to resolve. That uh, what you were just discussing, describing there, that's what Lyndon Johnson did in 19, uh, well, and Congress in 1965, correct? Right. So the basis of the, the current Immigration and Nationality Act, it's been amended since then, but the basic idea was that we wanted to turn away from a discriminatory immigration system to one that was not discriminatory. So when the president says he's doing it for national security, I mean, there have been a number of cases throughout American history where a a president, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, for example, uh, suspended the the right of uh, habeas corpus. Uh, But there have been a number of occasions throughout history where presidents have maybe crossed the line a little bit under the name of national security. Does that how do the courts look at that? Well, I think in the in this context, the the real sort of legal battle is going to be, you know, because this involves to a certain extent, although not a hundred percent, you've got the returning lawful permanent residents who are in a different constitutional status than people who are asking to come into the United States for the first time. Um, but because this, to a certain extent, involves entry of foreign nationals to the United States for the first time. There is legal precedent that talks about how the government has, you know, almost unlimited power to do whatever it wants with those individuals. But that theory and those that Supreme Court precedent is from the 19th century, and there's been a lot of criticism of giving the political branches that much power in the context of immigration. And so we're going to see that really come to a head, I think, with, you know, an, an establishment cause challenge, challenges under the Immigration and Nationality Act itself. And so I think, you know, we're going to see a big legal battle in terms of how much power does the, do the political branches have? And are they, do they really have almost power that's not subject to any constitutional restriction? I mean, that's really what I think the Trump administration is going to have to argue is that 
the president has extra constitutional power when it comes to immigration. So these four federal courts that uh, have uh, issued temporary orders, uh, talk about that a little bit, because I, I keep wondering yesterday, as last night, I should say, and we, I mentioned earlier in the program, Senator Casey was one of thousands of people who appeared before the U.S. Supreme Court building uh, demonstrating uh, against this order. Uh, you know, this is temporary. What about uh, on a permanent basis? When the federal court issues a temporary order like this, what does that mean? And is there potential that something like this does go before the U.S. Supreme Court? Yeah, so this is um, the court's ordered stays, which basically just sort of frees the status quo. So it gives the court a little bit of time to figure out on a more permanent basis what actually should happen. But the standard for a stay is that the uh, plaintiffs, so in this case, the the lawyers who are representing the individuals who are um, coming to the United States, um, they have to show that they're likely to succeed on a permanent basis. So So it's not a guarantee that they will ultimately succeed and get a permanent injunction. But the standard to get the temporary injunction is that you have to show there's a likelihood that you will succeed in the future. Um, I also wanted to point out, since you're asking sort of a more long-term question, is that, you know, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen after the 90 days or the 120 days. There aren't really clear standards set through the order about, you know, what, what, where's the goal line? You know, what, under what conditions would the administration release these bans? Um, also, there were two other executive orders that were released a little bit earlier last week. They were released on Wednesday. And those also include some provisions that really aim to diminish due process uh, for individuals who are placed in um, deportation proceedings. And so that applies not to people who are being um, stopped at the border, but instead people who are already inside of the United States and are protected by the Constitution. But the executive order that was issued last Wednesday wants to put uh, more people into what's called expedited removal, where the government basically basically gets to eliminate due process protections for those individuals and avoid giving them a hearing before an immigration judge where they would have a chance to argue about whether or not they should be able to stay. And so I think that's going to raise some other more constitutional issues that we're likely to see litigation about. So, Professor Family, I'm not asking you to predict here, but looking at this, uh, trying to sort it all out, because there's a lot of confusion right now, even still, what do you think we'll see in the next few days, the next few weeks? I think more confusion, um, just from immigration lawyers on the ground that I've talked to, I think that there are airlines are still refusing individuals uh, the right to board planes, even though the government now is saying, you know, green card holders can come back or, or they're making certain exceptions to the policies. So I think uh, immigration lawyers are going to be very busy over the next few weeks and the next few months, um, not only trying to figure out what exactly the directives are from Washington, but also trying to make sure that Um, airlines and immigration officers who are on the front lines are abiding by those directives and also abiding by the court orders. Mm. 
Professor Joe Families, Commonwealth Professor of Law and Government, Director of the Law and Government Institute at Widener University Commonwealth Law School. Professor Family, thank you very much for being with us today. Sure. Thank you so much. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I want to clarify something a little bit uh, earlier because there have been a lot of people talking about making the comparisons with uh, the Obama administration. According to PolitiFact, uh, Donald Trump issued an executive order on January 27th barring citizens of those seven countries from entering the United States for 90 days. It also put Syrian refugee admissions on hold indefinitely. In 2011, Obama's State Department stopped processing Iraqi refugee requests for six months, though it doesn't disclose the policy like Trump did. Obama's order was in response to a specific threat of Iraqi nationals in Kentucky who were going to send money and weapons to al-Qaeda. Trump is not responding to any specific threat. So there is a, little, there is a difference there, and I'm not going to say a little bit of a difference. There is a difference there. Uh, there these were two individuals in Kentucky in 2011 that uh, were investigated and found to be uh, sending money that were going to send money and weapons to al-Qaeda. Throughout this program, just providing some background so that uh, everyone kind of gets an update as where we are. You may have heard this. uh, It came out over the weekend, but Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, which does a lot of polling, uh, most often you hear about them when it comes to political candidates. Uh, Here in Pennsylvania, they do a lot of polling on even our state candidates. But uh, one of the few polls that have been conducted uh, since the president's uh, executive order And their results showed that uh, 48 percent of Americans that uh, they they polled do support the president's executive order compared to 42 percent who oppose it. So that is one of the few polls, maybe the only one uh, nationwide that we we have of uh, the president's executive order. Joining us on the phone right now is Lancaster Mayor Rick Gray. Mayor Gray, welcome to the program. Hi, Scott. Uh, And the reason we wanted to have uh, Mayor Gray on is Lancaster Probably it's well known throughout our region that uh, Lancaster is a place where uh, a lot of refugees do decide to settle. They come through Church World Service. Uh, Other agencies decide to settle in Lancaster and Lancaster County. Uh, In fact, uh, Mayor Gray, I'm sure you're well aware of the BBC report the other day uh, that compared Lancaster and how Lancaster probably would be the number one city in the country for when you take it on a per capita basis of refugees settling in the city. First of all, your thoughts on um, the, the Trump executive order? Well, first of all, uh, uh, that statistic just gives us another reason to be proud of being Lancasterians. Uh, Scott, I've spent all my life in Pennsylvania, which was founded by William Penn escaping religious persecution, who in the original documents specifically provided that people could worship however they chose. I come from a county and a city that's known uh, for religious dissenters, the Pennsylvania Dutch coming here. So it's in our genes in in Lancaster uh, to accept refugees, to accept other cultures coming in, and it's one of the reasons that makes Lancaster uh, really a great place. As to this order, I issued a statement and said uh, it was an unnecessary distraction. And that's basically what it is. Uh, It's distracting us from the real work that has to be done. On the local level, if 
our police do not inquire as to every individual they come in contact with. Are you documented? Uh, if they're arrested for a serious matter, it's filed, and uh, immigration picks it up. Uh, we don't hold people in the city. Uh, they're arraigned, they're arrested, they're arraigned, and then they're sent to the county prison if they don't post bond. And at that point, uh, Immigration Services does whatever it does with the county. We really don't have all that much interaction with them. The executive order itself is concerning from the perspective people keep asking me, are we a sanctuary city? And I tell them, I don't know what a sanctuary city is. We're a welcoming city. We welcome people to come in. We uh, put the safety of the people who are in the city of Lancaster, be they uh, residents or visitors, we put their safety first. Uh, you know, so again, with the executive order, I don't know what they want us to do, really, that we aren't doing right now. Uh, it's, it's just so confusing, Scott. I know with a rollout with different... Uh, uh, programs. For example, our single hauler trash program. It was months of preparation and consultation with people to try to get it right. And even then, when it initially rolled out, there were a lot of problems. Uh, similarly, right now, we're putting in uh, a fiber system throughout the city. Continually problems, consultation, work on that system. Uh, to just dash something off and say we're going to prohibit uh, people from this uh, section of the world and that any city that doesn't cooperate with us and doesn't make their police department a uh, deportment army, uh, you know, it's just poorly thought out too quick uh, and doesn't provide guidance for those of us who could be affected by it. Yeah, we we are going to uh, address sanctuary cities uh, on, a, on a on a future program. We only have about ninety seconds, Mayor. Um, a quick quick question about refugees who have settled in the city of Lancaster. Uh, have any of them broken the law? Have there been occasions where refugees have have been arrested, or your police department has had to arrest a refugee? You know, to be totally frank with you, uh, I have no idea. Uh, certainly, I haven't read of any major crime or major offense where someone uh, was indicated as being a refugee. And don't forget the most the te most terrible act of terrorism that occurred in Lancaster County was those uh, Amish girls that were killed in an Amish schoolhouse, and that was by a local. That wasn't by anybody from another country. I'm, I'm worried in a way that uh, the land of the free and the home of the brave, I'm wondering whether we are brave, uh, whether we're not letting terrorists terrorize us unduly, and we're being overly concerned about a very, very small number of people uh, and doing drastic things, broad things in response to what that small number does. But as far as as far as uh, refugees, I see people in the street. I talk to them. I go to naturalization ceremonies. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, once they're naturalized, they're citizens, uh, which is the highest office I think he can occupy. And Mayor Gray, uh, outside, you're outside the city right now, right? 
No, I'm... Oh, you're on your way. Yep. Oh, okay. Uh, Mayor Gray, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. On, on tomorrow's program, Black History Month and a proposal to change how the legislature does budgets in Pennsylvania.